Hello, Nathan Foster here, and welcome once again to the Renovare Weekly Podcast. This is one of the special ones where I write an essay and then interview someone related to the topic that I'm writing about. The topic this time is a continuation of looking at how the streams can be integrated into church life. And then I close things out with a, a picture, a vision of sorts, of spiritual formation fully integrated into congregational life. You can access the essay on renovare.org. My guest this week is Kent Carlson and Mike Lucan, authors of the book Renovation of the Church. The subtitle to the book is What Happens When a Seeker Church Discovers Spiritual Formation. I found this to be an interesting and, and helpful book where they, as pastors of a mega seeker church, they turned things upside down and tried to integrate formation and um, in, in many ways it was wonderful, but they learned many disastrous ways as they saw their uh, attendance at the church plummet. But I think you'll find the, the interview helpful and, and they're a, a great bunch of guys. As always, thanks for listening and enjoy. Kent, Mike, how are you guys? Nathan, doing well. Very well, Nathan, thanks. Tell us uh, a little bit about the, the book you two wrote, Renovation of the Church. What happens when a secret church discovers spiritual formation? Kent? Sure. Well, I think the we talked about, I mean, we, we went through this whole uh, transformation or demolition of our church back starting around 2000. Um, we were this... Uh, you know, one of the uh, typical seeker churches, large, very large church, and uh, we are enjoying what we're doing. There was good stuff happening. People were being impacted for Christ. But we were realizing that um, the ways we were attracting people and keeping people had a formative impact on them, ultimately, and that if we wanted to help them grow in their life with God, uh, to learn, as uh, Dallas Willard would say, to, how to routinely, easily live as Jesus would if he were us, mm-hmm. that we'd have to unteach uh, some of the things that we had uh, taught by our ways of reaching people and our ways of keeping people. Mm-hmm. That 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 process um, was was a fairly t- fa- fairly tumultuous one, um, somewhat costly in terms of the, uh, people leaving and. Uh, much of it, mistakes that Mike and I made uh, along the way, uh, but the, the 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 journey I think um, was was such a uh, um, uh, it's a an example of of the conversation and the thoughts and the struggles that many churches, many pastors have been going through over this last uh, couple decades in as the result of the church growth movement and things. And uh, the, one of the things with our church, we were a church that kind of were at the, uh, the um, top end of it uh, when, um, or the height of our attendance, when we decided to make this change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think people kind of went to school on us. And, <laughs> uh, and we were, um, to some degree, kind of making it up as we went along. Mm-hmm. And Mike and I had talked often during this time, we should write this down. Mostly it was uh, write it down uh, in order to, um, uh, you know, so, so our church, people coming would have a bit of a knowledge of what took place in that process. Uh, a guy in our church who 
uh, was connected with someone in university who mentioned uh, us and they contacted us. And so we started the process of writing a book, which uh, essentially uh, chronicled the story, but also the uh, some of the learnings that we went through through the process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good, good. And, and Mike, do you want to, would you add anything to that? Yeah, the, I mean, just everything that Ken said, the only thing I would throw in is, uh, and he alluded to this at the, in, at the end of what he was saying, but I think we had a sense uh, through the thing, maybe not right away, but as it as it went along, there was an important story. It was important initially. It was important for Kent and I just to have some sense of God was involved in all this. Mm-hmm. This wasn't just a, a deconstruction with a lot of pain in it, but there was some sense of God being involved in it. And the story was important. I think to both of us and to our leadership initially, and then as time went on, we recognized it was important to the church. And I think in the latter part of uh, the adventure, maybe 2010, 9, 10, something like that, there, there began to be a sense because of the increased conversation amongst churches and just in the, in the broader Christian world that maybe our story could be of help to other people if for no other reason because it was a it was a fairly risky step it had a lot of hard uh, often painful consequences but there was something in the story that felt like uh, it could be valuable not only to us but to others and so mm-hmm. off we went and tried to put it on paper <laughs> very good and and practically speaking what did this change look like in in deconstructing your church in integrating formation into the life, yeah, that's a that's a good question. Uh, there, there's a um, and Mike will I'm sure have some stuff to say on this. We early on in the process, we you know we we were talking a lot with Dallas Willard during this time, and because uh, essentially we were trying to do what he was encouraging everyone to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had one uh, time where uh, we were together, and Mikey asked him, "Well, when we when we." When we are doing well, not not when we've arrived, but but when we're making progress, what will it look like? And he said, "Well, you know, in true uh, Yoda-like fashion, he said, uh, well, it will look more or less like it does now, but everything will be different.' And uh, different it will be, kind of thing. So the uh, and so we had that. Um, it, and so many people, when we first started uh, trying to make the the, the shift. Um, most everyone uh, were greeted the process with uh, enthusiasm, with kindness, with yeah, let's do this in mm-hmm. the church because we weren't really changing that much. Um, our, our messages began to change. We talked more about the details of of, of of formation, what it looks like, but to a large degree, the kind of uh, things that we were doing in the church, the big secret service on the weekend. Um, the midweek uh, worship service, all those things remain the same, small groups. And to a large part, people can simply come in and, and, and um, smile and nod and agree. Mm-hmm. But nothing much had to actually change. When we began to um, uh, mess around with the scheduling um, and, and when some staff who probably were not feeling the same calling from God, uh, it found out that they were, you know, they, it, it became less of a fit for them and what mm-hmm. they would, um, I think the, um, then it started to, to catch up 
uh, on us. We uh, one of the difficulties is in a in a seeker church model that really emphasizes that seeker service on the Sunday, particularly if there's a high uh, performance. Uh, uh, content to it. We had uh, about five full-time staff who were just involved in the uh, the preparing and mm-hmm. the practicing, putting on the weekend service and the midweek service. And both, neither Mike or I, nor I had uh, a lot of enthusiasm for that. And that requires a ton of enthusiasm and energy. Uh, one of our slogans was, you'll be surprised and obviously, when you do that, you got say have that slogan. You got to surprise people all the time, mm-hmm. and uh, that that burden became heavy upon us. And we we wanted we both Mikey and I were moving away from this feeling of uh, of the kind of CEO model of pastoring to mm-hmm. more of a spiritual director uh, that that kind of uh, thing. We were interested in people and their. Uh, the details of growth. Not that we weren't before, of course we were, but mm-hmm. it was the, um, the the animal or the monster of the machine uh, kept us occupied. And so when we backed off that, probably backed off a bit of the double XL leadership mm-hmm. kind of, um, I think it just took the edge off the, the, the energy that was growing the church in that particular way. And um, it was changed and we kind of broke, the unspoken contract the leadership has with the church and um, mm-hmm. people like it. Mm-hmm. What What would it say if if I were to visit today? What would I notice uh, different about Oak Hills than say fifteen years ago? That's a good question. The what I was thinking of as Kent was talking was the issue of culture, as in culture of the church and. So much of the early years of what we were attempting to do was first off come to grips with the culture we had created at Oak Hills, mm-hmm. uh, how we would be described, or to use your most recent question, what somebody would have felt, experienced if they would have been here and just hung out for a month uh, without us knowing. Mm-hmm. So they just were here, they breathed the air, they listened, they visited with people. What would people pick up from just being around here? Mm-hmm. And much of it, Kent just mentioned. I think today, uh, and we've had, I, I hesitate to say this because it's going to sound a bit self-serving and so <laughs> forth, but we've had some examples uh, where people have actually done what you just said. Mm-hmm. And it's been it's been humbling and encouraging to hear some of their feedback of, how formation, as in, what kind of people are we developing? Mm-hmm. What kind of individuals, uh, how is their character being formed? But also, how are we as a community of a faith community, how are we being formed? What are the attributes of us in addition to what character qualities is the spirit developing in an individual? Mm-hmm. What character qualities is he developing in us as a community of faith? And and so I think people would talk about the priority of formation, that we're never very far away from integrating it. Uh, for example, on Sunday, it's never far away from what we talk about, what we emphasize, what we prioritize. It seeps. It has seeped into some of the sub-ministries as well. It's mm-hmm. in our children's ministry. It's in our youth ministry. 
the leaders of these ministries uphold this value of who we are becoming, mm-hmm. what kind of people are we developing, what kind of young people are we developing. Within the context of our youth ministry, for example, there's ongoing conversation about the difference between building a successful youth program that from year to year is well attended and hits whatever the mark is versus asking the question, how do we help young people cultivate a faith they will keep after they're done with our particular program Mm -hmm. and went to college and so on. So I think the DNA of the place is much more uh, oriented around who we are becoming. People talk about it, value it, ask the disruptive questions to get at it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I, I think someone said to me not long ago, and it was, it was, I've thought about it ever since they talked about the, the, the kind of the spirit of the place, the sense of welcome, mm-hmm. while at the same time, there is a gentle nudging, maybe even a gentle uh, pushing toward this life in God, this life in Christ. Kent mentioned the details. I think that is really a critical thing in terms of part of the shift that we went through, as well as where we continue to want to play around today is helping people in the realities of relationships and the practicalities of their own character in terms of the way they structure their life, uh, in terms of training and who they are becoming, that getting down into the details of in this marriage, in this family dynamic, in this character issue, what does it mean to Uh, be alive in God's kingdom? What does it mean for us to keep in step with God, to live under his reign, et cetera, et cetera. And the level of conversation beyond sermonizing, I think Mm. we continue to learn how to bring that down to the practical level of real life, dealing with real people, as well as our own larger community of faith and working these things in. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There, there's so much I appreciate and like about about your guys' book, and um, particularly the, the the messiness and the candidness of you know the the cost that it it, it took in terms of uh, numbers and um, people's uh, you know perception of things. Um, do you think this would have been easier if you were or harder if you were a small church? Yeah, keep going. I don't I don't know if I had that question asked before. <laughs> I guess I'm just curious. Is I mean, some of the s- struggles you guys faced as you, you know, the consumer culture and and in, in trying to um, go beyond that and 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 then you know relationally and developing and training of of, of leaders um, would that have been easier? Do you think if you had you know 150 people in your congregation? Uh, my first thought is is. Uh What's difficult are the things that go along with what's difficult in a large church. Um, you know, just just the uh, the kind of expectations of quality programming and full you know full spectrum programming of everything. It's just a style, and people go to large churches because of those kinds of uh, expectations. I, I wouldn't want to say or to argue that um, that there's something inherent in the people coming to a large church that makes this issue of formation more difficult mm-hmm. than people coming in a small 
church because I, I I know a number of pastors that are trying to do this in a small church, and their their obstacles are the same obstacles we all face in in terms of even theology, understanding what the gospel is, what salvation is, the kingdom of God. And it's just different from what has been traditionally taught, taught for example, in, in the typical evangelical church. And so there's uh, always that kind of uh, pushback. Perhaps in a smaller church, though, um, you don't have the extra added uh, weight of high uh, consumer-based expectations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I feel similarly. The infrastructure might be easier in a smaller church for obvious reasons. The pace might be faster if someone decided to take this on. They might be able to implement it quicker in a smaller church for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But I still think it comes back to what do the people actually want who are sitting there each Sunday. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure the size of the church necessarily uh, helps much in terms of answering that question or right. informing that question. We're dealing with people, and if the programs appeal to people who go to a larger church, it's possible that the sense of relationship appeals to those going to a smaller church, but we're still not necessarily getting at what do I actually want in terms of my life, my formation, the sense mm-hmm. of life in the kingdom, and so on. So I, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if... if I agree. I don't think we've been asked that, and I don't know if that would ultimately make much difference. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. What, just, we, what we are usually asked on those lines is, "Can you do this and still stay a large church?" Which mm-hmm. is, which is, you know, usually asked by pastors of larger churches who want to do this but are afraid that what happened to us will happen to them. Understandably, um, but we we would refer to this sometimes as just uh, um, what did people sign up for. Mm-hmm. When they not only came to our church, but came to into a relationship with God, mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, to a large degree, there was a a changing of what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. We we ran into situations where we find ourselves we found ourselves thinking that people had to be converted out of their Christian experience in order to be a follower of Christ, and so um, that's what we battled against and. I'm just repeating myself. I don't think that animal is different in a small yeah. church or a church. Right. Mm-hmm. right. No, and I, th- I think you'd probably exchange some problems for different problems in, mm-hmm. in a sense. But people are people uh, regardless. Well, if you could give – I mean, if you, it's been a few years since you guys wrote the book. Give, give us an update. Uh, what, what's transpired uh, since then? I think one of the – we allude to this in the book – and we allude to the idea of inherent in the spiritual formation focus can be a kind of introverted, introspective, for maybe say it in an exaggerated way, self-absorption around my own soul kind mm-hmm. of a trap. Mm-hmm. And I think we had, I think some of that took place here. I think there was some... Uh, we were in in some ways reacting to the seeker outward focused attendance oriented seeker thing and probably got ourselves into a into that self-absorption trap uh, through the vehicle of spiritual formation for a while mm-hmm. as well as an individualized trap versus mm-hmm. thinking of the community uh, our faith community 
uh, we maybe focus too much on the individual. These days, uh, not to say we're trying to be balanced in these things. I'm not sure that that is a, is a worthwhile goal, but certainly we're trying to um, hold in tension the idea of formation in my mind as the the lead dog, if you will, but close behind come the notion of mission and community. So Mm -hmm. one of the ways, we don't have a fancy way of saying it, but we have to prioritize formation. Otherwise, these things become to-dos and oughts and shoulds and and a kind of legalism. Mm -hmm. So with formation as the priority, these days there is this surge of if formation is actually happening, it makes sense that if Christ is being formed in us, there's going to be a missional set of eyes and a missional heart and compassion Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And all of this is happening, not just in my individual life, but we're learning how to live this way with these missional eyes and we're learning how to do it together. So the idea of mission formation and community and living in the tension of those three things with kind of the understanding, uh, again, the extent to which this breaks ranks from some of the missional people, but we think formation has to be the lead because mm-hmm. otherwise it, it potentially sets forth a, a series of implications and, and that will eventually catch up mm-hmm. uh, and, and be difficult. So that's what I would say that is kind of fleshed out more from when we wrote the book is – we continue to learn in the area of, of mission. We have a long way to go in the realm of community, mm-hmm. and we continue to prioritize formation. But these other things are are also in the mix, and living in the tension of the three is what we're trying to do these days. Mm-hmm. That's good. And we, I think, just add into that, uh, neither Mike or I would argue that there's any concept of formation that could be apart from being uh on mission, you know, mm-hmm. with God in in, in the world, uh, it would be certainly a truncated concept of, of of formation that does not realize it's for the sake of others. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, but as as Mike said, those who uh, and so we, in many ways, it's really hard for us to even talk about them separately. You have to because you want to talk about those aspects of the of you know they're two different words and they have two different emphases, but. Mm-hmm. There's there's really no way to uh, um, talk about them holistically uh, unless they are are, are both involved uh, mission and formation, but also of course mm-hmm. community. But those are you know it's like I don't know the best diagram for it, uh, but it is uh, they they all fit and form together and aren't much of anything without each other. Right, yeah. right, and that I mean what I'm hearing is the idea of mission and community. Are really outgrowths of uh, our own formation and life with God that naturally um, spring from that. Is that? Is that, that certainly is. That certainly is where we're uh, where we stand. And and again, getting into the picking apart the terms and and, and to me that that ends up eventually being a waste of time because it gets too bogged down in it. But. It just feels like, and it seems like, and biblically it seems like, that as soon as you start sh- 
shifting away from the priority of formation. I mean, I can speak from it from the standpoint of Oak Hills right now. Mm-hmm. As we try to continue to press into the missional conversation and find ways to encourage our church to live missionally, it just makes perfect sense to me to think if people go into this, they will be attracted by and in some ways enticed by the activism inherent mm-hmm. in the missional endeavor. And the the risk is you just start running on fumes because mm-hmm. you're just you're just cranking out um, programs or you're 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 going and doing good things, mm-hmm. but without that formational. Uh, life and that life with God and that sense of uh, what he's up to in me and in us, I I just don't see it as a long-term endeavor. Mm -hmm. It's easy to put the cart before the horse and kind of run after the outward uh, results rather than cultivating the inward life that that leads outward. Yep. One of the... um, you, You two seem to like each other. How, Mike's, <laughs> Mike's a really good guy. <laughs> how how important was that in you know as co pastors, co senior pastors, correct? Yeah, the, the um, yeah uh, we're really different, um, and and both of us take up a lot of space. So I, I'm pretty sure Mikey would agree that uh, that process of you know I'm the founding pastor. I take up a lot of space. Uh, Mike's big leader he has a you know a, a way of leading that would be different than mine and uh mm-hmm. and so creating that space for each other and respecting it and um being in submission to it mm-hmm. was a very inefficient form of leadership um uh, the uh, uh but it probably and i and mike has often said this is probably if not the most Right up there, no one or uh, top two uh, forces that uh, help both of us in our own uh, pursuit of our own formation. He always had to um, pay attention to what really what was the juice that was driving my um, frustration or my lack of um, getting done what I wanted to get done in order to make space for the other person. So um, that was always there, and it was mm-hmm. always worked mm-hmm. on. The inefficiency of it is that it brought up some uh, check swinging at times, uh, perhaps not uh, chasing down the feeling sufficiently so that we, um, you know, the danger was at times uh, assuming the other person's motives or, or, or feelings. Uh, but, um, you know, Mikey's, Mikey's impact on my life in the area of formation is, uh, you know, uh, immeasurable. And, and so the, uh, um, not just by the fact that he caused conflict with me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but mostly just because of who he is and his own pursuit of this, uh, this whole, this whole life. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I think behind that, this is where it gets into the little, the, the activism. And, and again, God makes many of us activists. That's probably my inclination more than uh, the contemplative. And um, but part of the, uh, the the major issue isn't always asking what's the most efficient leadership. How can we get this done in the most strategic and fastest way? Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it forced us to have 
confidence or to work through the process of getting confidence that the kingdom of God is real. It's operative, active, and we can trust it. Uh, Dallas was very influential in us. He lived this life that demonstrated that he believed that God was active all the time and you can live out of that reality. Mm. So, so not being able always to, uh, put together a leadership structure and a process that um, was made easier by having a clear hierarchy uh, was really good for us because uh, for good for, you know, for us, I think for the church uh, uh, staff, not, not without conflict. And, you know, uh, the, the, you know, we use illustration often that sometimes people are like uh, children playing off mom against uh, uh, dad. And mm-hmm. Mikey, Mikey really took the, the mom role. And, <laughs> Well, I do, I have to chime in on that one because that the the, the co pastoring thing we didn't try to do this we weren't purposeful about this but co pastoring became an experiment in what we were talking about in the church and it just became this constant uh, petri dish where these things would get played out and it, again. I, at least for much of it, it was it was not conscious conscious to me. It was happening behind the scenes. But Kent mentioned the submission thing, which was huge. Learning to do that, all of a sudden you're living out a kingdom value. You've mm-hmm. talked to the congregation about a million times, but here it is right in front of you on some right. decision that has to be made. And am I going to grab and keep fighting for my own way or submit the the the, the invitation to live these things out mm-hmm. in the context of our relationship was daily. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just had, and we didn't always do it well, but I think the other thing is the, and people have asked us about this. And oftentimes when, when we have been asked about it and you can see the other person asking, you can read their body language and you know that they don't think this really, they don't think it really worked or they don't think it really was Mm -hmm. a co-pastoring environment. And in some, you know, we knew, I knew where it could be co-pastoring and where it couldn't in light of the fact that Kent was the founding pastor. And there's, Mm -hmm. it wasn't like we're splitting everything 50, 50 and it has to be 50, 50 or whatever, because some of that would have just been ridiculous. But I do think the co-pastoring in profound ways confronted the ego-driven leadership paradigm Mm. that is just way too often accepted as Mm -hmm. normative for pastors or churches. And Mm -hmm. again, we didn't plan this, but the co-pastoring just, in effect, challenged that. Mm -hmm. And we had to sort through, and it was really good for our soul. And I think, I know, it spilled over and positively impacted the soul of Oak Hills. Mm. You, you guys are bringing up a point that, that I often think about, that in, in church life and church leadership, if we want to help people uh, in terms of their you know, formation and the image of Christ, it, it begins with us and yeah. who we are and what we're doing and our interactions with others and our life with God. Would, would you two agree? Oh, yeah. yeah. When, when we made the, the first the first uh, almost year of when yep. we realized that we need to change the major conversation was uh, it starts with us. Mm. And uh, Mike and I would walk in each other's office, you know, several times a day talking about that, thinking that through we were um, 
uh, enthralled with with the idea uh, that that the the Christian life could be something different than than what we had experienced and what we had been subtly and not so subtly taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that again, that was part of the difficulty is that we left took the foot off the accelerator of the growth of the organization and put it on um, you know our own lives with God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't go you know at all right away saying, "Okay, all you people aren't following God." We just <laughs> we went you know yeah. we're we're the bozos here. So right, I yeah, it, I think the uh, the notion of it starting with. Leadership always starts with leadership, and we have to fight really hard to keep this as the priority because everything in the organization wants to replace that as the priority. Mm-hmm. And we've learned that we don't, we certainly don't do it 100% of the time, but it's becoming more part of our DNA that we have to embody this. Otherwise, we're just, we're just it's just hot air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, maybe one final question. H- how did the church respond to the book? Cause, cause in a sense you're, it, it's almost like you're telling family secrets of sorts. Yeah. I, th- I think it was a, uh, uh, first for the people who are there, were there when the church, when the book came out, um, you know, again, many of them had not been there through the, the seeker days and understood the story. It was like, like you get a family gathering and like a, an in-law or a son-in-law comes into it and uh, at Thanksgiving and they're all talking about that one year when Uncle Harold showed up drunk and got in a fight with his brother Bill. And, <laughs> and so they're, um, uh, you know, they're going, what, what was that? You know, and, uh, and so that helped fill in the blanks for many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we actually had staff people who uh, left during that time for various reasons that the book uh, helped them understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, given time, they were able to sort it out. Um, it, had, it was met with uh, some negative response by people who had left and felt that their side of the story was not told appropriately. And I think mm-hmm. there's some, um, I think there's some, uh, validity to, to that. Uh, uh, and, and so, but the, I think the, for the church, uh, it was a, um, I, I, I don't know how to say this, but it was a, a turning closing of a chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't have to keep talking about, uh, that, Donner Party retreat where all where we <laughs> told us uh, everything and um, and we weren't fighting any more battles and it was okay you know we're we're done with that chapter the church feels healthy church feels good the DNA has changed there's a bias in the church towards transformation um, and um, and so you know we can we can quit deconstructing. And we quit react, and we can move on to what does this look like as we mature as a community of faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think I think there are still people. In fact, I know there. I just had a conversation the other day, and Kent mentioned this. There's one thing the book did for those who really care much about this kind of thing in the context of of a church. Meaning, you know, some people care about this level of detail, some don't, and most people are kind of along for the ride, but. 
I think one of the real positives was we we had people and still have people who have some degree of confusion about Oak Hills for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And the book helps them understand and clarifies their confusion. It, I, just someone the other day who has been coming more regularly and read through it and said, I just put a lot of pieces in place. So I think overall it was received positively and, uh, again, gives people a context uh, to understand Oak Hills, to think about Oak Hills, and various pieces made more sense in light of the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, good. Hey, would there be one one kind of final word of, of advice or, or counsel you might give to someone listening, pastor or, or lay leader who would like to see spiritual formation integrated more into their community life? Let Mike finish up with uh, how he would do that. I, I, there's a part of me that always wants to say in an interview like this or a conversation like this um, to learn from one of our mistakes. Uh, um, and for me, uh, and I think Mikey would say this somewhat similarly, um, people uh, had very significant encounters and experiences with God during our seeker days. Mm -hmm. And uh, their lives were um, dramatically affected uh, by that style of doing church. um, Even in the context of what we would see now as a a truncated gospel, uh, a a rather limited understanding of salvation, a... uh, confused understanding of Jesus' teaching of the kingdom, yet in spite of all that, people had people encountered the living God and were the, the marriages were saved, good things mm-hmm, happened. Mm-hmm. I think there I know there were times when I, I was speak for myself, I um, in the process of change and the process of defending what we were doing and in the deconstructive time, um, I, I think the way I talked and the way I was with people uh, trivialized those experienced or or minimized them. And, and uh, if I were, if I had been better, if I had been uh, more fully formed, if I did not have uh, a defensiveness or reactionary uh, response, I I would have been able to more fully um, love people in those settings um, affirm, celebrate, uh, and not have drawn such 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 hard lines. So uh, th- that's a that's a more negative way of, of saying if there is a word to pastors and leaders, it's a realize you're meeting people at all different points. Mm-hmm. What we're talking is trajectory for them, not necessarily a full understanding or or, or agreement. And uh, he made the choice to make systemic organizational. Uh, uh, centered, uh, organizationally centered change. Um, that's a pretty dangerous step. It doesn't doesn't often work. <laughs> we, we, barely, we barely survived it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really helpful word in in the sense that it's not all good and bad. I mean, there God's at work even even in contexts that don't have a sustainable you know life for them. Um, yeah, I like that. Uh, Mike, do you have any? Yeah, thoughts? I would say um, I when I think of the question, I, for me, 
I tend to be someone who can do okay in solitude and tend to, I tend to, uh, I wouldn't call myself a contemplative, but I certainly do okay in that world of aloneness. Mm -hmm. That all being said, I don't think too many of us in this pastoral business are at risk of too much navel gazing. I don't think that tends to be the precipice upon which we hover. And so I would say this, if someone is, if this is stirring in them or if they're thinking about it or how do I bring this to the church, I'd go back to what we just talked about a minute ago. It has to start with, with those of us in leadership. We, we have to, we have to do more than read a book about it hmm. and then turn that book into a series of talks. We have to, <laughs> we have to engage in the nitty gritty practices that will stir up our own interior life. So, for example, uh, spending time in solitude and letting letting the storm brew and letting the turmoil spin and not trying to clean it all up, I think is just a huge thing. Practicing solitude, doing it, not, uh, not keeping it all to yourself, but as we mm-hmm. practice solitude, we find those that we can talk to authentically about what's going on. And I think as we do this and as we continue to think and pray and consider what formation means for us, where God is calling us as an individual and as a leader to move into our own formation, I think somewhere in that process with discernment, we begin to realize the journey is to be made with others. And then I would say that's where, to Kent's point, rather than trying to overhaul the whole thing, mm-hmm. perhaps finding ways to invite and encourage those in the congregation who are hungry mm-hmm. and invite them forward and then talk with them and start practicing with them and undoubtedly God will do something. Mm. And, um, you know, I can't mention this and I would agree completely. Uh, I don't think we've ever recommended anybody do what we did. <laughs> and probably if we could do it over again, we'd be much more oriented toward the kinds of things we're saying now, which is pay attention to what God's doing in you. Uh, don't have such a hard edge and invite others who want to to come with you and see what happens. Mm, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, guys, I, I really appreciate uh, getting a chance to sit down and talk with you. Um, and again, the, the book is Renovation of the Church, What Happens When a Secret Church Discovers Spiritual Formation. Thanks again, guys. Thanks, Thanks Nathan. Nathan.